thank you for being here today. Uh, we're going to be studying from Galatians chapter 3. I put 4 up there, but it's Galatians chapter 3. Uh, so if you want to get out your Bibles and turn there with me, maybe this will all work like it's supposed to. There it is. All right. So we've been studying through the book of Galatians, uh, and, and in this book, Paul has made it very clear uh, that the Christians he's writing to are not saved because they keep the Old Testament law. Uh, that is the distortion of the gospel that the Galatians have been fed and that they have listened to, and he says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly turning away from him who called you. Whenever they made the decision to believe that they're saved because they keep the Old Testament law, he said, you're turning away from God. God is not saving us because he is, because we are doing all those laws as we're supposed to according to the Old Testament. Paul says God saved us because he loved us. He saved us because he was gracious toward us. And we received that salvation by accepting it with faith. It's not about what we can do. It's not about how righteous we are. No one is righteous enough. No one is justified because they keep the law well enough. But we receive the blessing that God has promised us by believing that Jesus has provided what we need. That is at the root of, of every person's salvation. No one can be saved without that one truth. And Paul wants to make that extremely clear in the book of Galatians. Last time we, we pointed out and, and noticed how Paul said we're redeemed from the curse. Jesus himself willing to, to die on a tree, be hanged on a tree, which made him cursed even though he was innocent, was for us to be redeemed from the curse, for us to receive the blessing. Well, now we're getting into... Uh, a very, very fascinating section of Galatians. As we open up Galatians to chapter 3, and we start in verse 15, and we go down through the end of chapter 3, this information puts everything in perspective for us. It helps make sense of the Old Testament. Why is the Old Testament the way that it is? This is a, a foundational piece. Now, the things that are said in this section are challenging. They're advanced but they explain everything. They explain to us why God did what he did throughout all the Old Testament and how it all worked together to accomplish his purpose. And it explains exactly what that purpose is. It fits everything together neatly. And so I would say that this is one of the most important texts for us to understand as Christians today who live under the law of Christ yet have all of this historical information at our disposal in the Old Testament. And as we try to fit in everything and understand how God was working everything, this text is where we can go to find that understanding. You start reading with me in verse 15. He's been talking, and notice this is just a continuation of everything he's been saying. He's been talking about how they're saved because they have faith in the working of God initially and and that that is the way that they receive all the blessings in Christ. And then he says, To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it 
or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Now, the things that are written here are a little bit confusing, difficult to understand. If you don't consider all of the context, the verse uh, preceding it, verse 14 Uh, Upon the Gentiles might come the blessing of Abraham in Christ Jesus so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Uh, Earlier he says we are saved because as Abraham, verse 6, as Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him for righteousness, know therefore that they which be of faith, the same are sons of Abraham. He's connecting the promise that was made to Abraham to all of us. And, and throughout this, he's trying to make the point, you receive that promise, you receive that blessing that was promised to Abraham whenever you have faith, like Abraham had faith. And as you come to verse 15, he says to give a human example, and we're just like, okay, what, what is this? Why are you giving a human example, and what, what, what are you talking about? He says, a man-made covenant cannot be annulled or add to once it has been ratified, once it has been established. The, the man-made covenants that we have, where, whether it's marriage or, or whatever it is, you can't just set them aside or throw them aside. That is an agreement that is intended to be established as fact, where both sides are going to fulfill their obligations in that covenant relationship. And so he brings this up so that we can understand when a covenant is made, that's it. All the terms are laid out during the the institution of that covenant, and it's not to be changed, and it's not to be added to. That's the way we work. That's how we operate whenever we make covenants. And then he uses that to say, think about God's covenant. Think about how God made a covenant with Abraham. God made a promise to Abraham, a covenant with Abraham, that he would fulfill the three things. He said, I will bring you into a land that that you do not know, and I will give you this offspring that will be as numerous as the stars in the sky, as numerous as the sand of the sea. I'll give you the land that you're going to. Uh, It'll be your inheritance, your possession for all time. And he said, through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. God didn't make those promises to Abraham because he kept the law. God didn't make those promises to Abraham because he was circumcised. God made those promises to Abraham because God wanted to make those promises to Abraham. Because Abraham was a man who had faith. So as you read in verse 16, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. 
He's talking about the promised blessing that through the offspring of Abraham, through the seed of Abraham. That's what that word offspring is, is actually in the, in the original Greek or in the original Hebrew. It means seed. And they translate it for us as descendants or as offspring so that we can understand it better. But there is a seed of Abraham. There is a descendant of Abraham, an offspring. And he says, through this offspring, all the nations of earth would be blessed. That's part of God's covenant promise. In this text, Paul says it does not say into offsprings. In other words, it's not that God brought the blessing through one person earlier, Moses, who gave them the law. And then later he came and he brought another blessing through another offspring. It's not two offsprings, it's one. And he says that offspring is Jesus. Now it's important if you're going to understand what has happened with the law. He's really just setting all of this up and helping everyone to understand that the commands of the law are separate from the original promise. That original promise that was made to, to bless all the nations through the seed of Abraham had not been fulfilled until Christ came. Israel was not a blessing to the nations. <laughs> I mean, the law in some ways was a blessing. And Israel received some blessing as they kept the law. They were told that they would receive the blessings, that, that God would be their God, that he would provide for them and protect them. There's a lot of blessings that came with the law. But what Paul tells us here is that's not the fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of the promise that through your seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed. God made this covenant with Abraham. He didn't just promise it. He made a covenant. If you go back to Genesis 15, you see Abraham cutting animals in half as God, correct, God directed him because he asked God, he said, how, God, how do I know that you'll do exactly what you say? Here I am. I'm an old man. I have no sons, no children whatsoever. How do I know that you'll do it? And God says, cut these animals in half. And Abraham watches as a pillar of fire moves through the, the cut halves. In Jeremiah chapter 34 and verse 8, we read that uh, 18 that Israel had disobeyed the covenant and that God was going to make Israel like the animals that were cut in half. That's the common way that they viewed covenants in the Old Testament. If you broke the covenant, you're walking between these animals to, to make it everyone, oh, everyone's aware. You break the covenant, you're like these two halves. Well, God would never break the covenant. God would fulfill exactly what he said he would do. And if Israel was the blessing that was promised that would bless all the nations, it's a horrible, horrible blessing. Israel did not help the nations to be what God wanted them to be. And so what, what Paul is trying to get across is that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that promised blessing, not the law, not Moses. And then that begs the question, which Paul himself asks in verse 19, why then the law? Why did God give the law? If it wasn't going to bring the blessing which he said was going to come, why was the law given anyway? I mean, it promised some blessing, but it seemed to result in cursing. So why give the law? The answer is very interesting. 
Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisons everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Here he lays out for us why the law was given. What was the purpose of the law? And the answer that he starts with is because of transgressions. Because of transgressions. What does that mean? Did he give the law because men sinned and the law was going to be a solution to the sin problem? How does that work? Have you ever told your child not to do something? And what does that kind of make them want to do? Have you ever read a sign somewhere that says, don't do this in a park uh, at a national, you know, national park? You walk up, don't touch the trees. You kind of want to touch the tree, right? Uh, don't go across this barrier. Well, you kind of want to now. You weren't really thinking about it until the sign told you not to. And that's the way the law actually works a lot of times. Paul talks about this in depth in the book of Romans. He says, as the law was given, sin increased. So the law wasn't really a solution to sin. The law didn't solve the sin problem that men had. But he says here, it was given because of transgressions. So there's some connection between uh, their sinfulness and the giving of the law, that there was a need for the law to be given uh, because they are sinful people. And, and whenever you go back in the Old Testament, that's what you see is Abraham was not perfect, but he was nowhere near as bad as Israel became. I mean, the sons of, of Jacob were a mess. And, and whenever you get to Exodus and when you get to Leviticus and Numbers, you see Israel has fallen big time. I mean, they're, they're, they're bad. And so God giving them a blessing and, and working in that way just doesn't seem right. So God, in his wisdom, gave them the law. And the law was given, it says, until, notice that next word, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. So the law was given because of transgression until the offspring would come. So the law was given to help with the situation some way, somehow, of, of sin. And it was just intended to, to fill in the time period that, that was going to elapse before the offspring actually came. God always knew whenever he gave the law that it was going to be a temporary thing. It was not going to be something that would be established forever. God's plan was for the law to be given so that they could see and understand their sin. He wanted man to understand that they can't keep the law. He wanted man to understand that as hard as they tried, 
they will fall short of what God calls for them to be. He says in this, if there was a law that had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by that law. There was any way that, that we could be righteous by ourselves, it would be through the law that God would have given us. It wouldn't be through a law that we come up with. It would obviously be through a law that God had given us. But what was intended to result in life resulted in death, not life, because we failed to keep it. Paul goes into depth in this in the book of Romans, but I want to just get this point across and move on because this is deep and we've got a lot more to cover. And understand that the law helps people understand their sins. It did not give them life. It failed to develop in the hearts of Israel uh, obedience. If you look throughout the Old Testament and you just follow through, you will not see that people learn from the law. We see that people forget what the law's intended purpose is. And instead of keeping the law, they choose to do whatever it is they wanted to do, and they twist the law to make it okay. The law was not given so that we would twist it and make everything okay. The law was given to help us see that we are not okay, that we are imprisoned because of our sins. We are guilty. We are deserving of death and separation from God that is eternal. We've always been that way before the law came. I mean, there was laws of, uh, that we just knew. Paul says all this in Romans. There's laws that we just knew and we failed to keep our conscience condemning us. But when the law was given, there's no doubt. There's no doubt in anyone's mind that we fall short, that we deserve to be apart from God, separated from God for all eternity. And God knew that we couldn't see that until he wrote it out for us, and he gave us an opportunity to try to be what we thought we were. He had to let us do it. He had to let us fall on our face, just like we have to let our kids sometimes fall on their face, make a mistake, do something wrong. That's what God did for us. He let us see that we will not be good enough to have a relationship with God on the basis of law. But he says that was all before faith came. The scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until, notice that word again, until the coming faith would be revealed. He goes on in verse 24. Let me get it. For some reason, I had my Bible and planned to bring it up. I messed up. So, uh, so this is going to be the King James Version. Sorry about that. <clears throat> the law hath been our tutor, verse 24, to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For ye are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ did put on Christ. There can be neither Jew nor Greek, 
There can be neither bond nor free. There can be no male and female. For ye are all one man in Christ Jesus. Notice here he says the law was given to be our tutor. ESV says guardian. And the word there is intended to, uh, it, it's, it's hard for us. We don't really have a word that really correlates with the word that was in the Greek originally. But it basically means it's our babysitter. It was keeping us from killing ourselves, right? It was keeping us from devolving to the point of needing total wiping out. And God did other things to keep us uh, from that point of needing total wiping out, like, on the, like in the flood. He, he wiped out the Israel nation uh, and brought them back. And why did he do that? Because we needed it until the coming faith would be revealed. The law was able to help us understand some things. It was, help, it was able to develop us in some ways. It's kind of like as a child, you have this person who's watching over you, who's protecting you and kind of providing for you in some ways until you get old enough to be able to handle it yourself, to not need a guardian, to not need a tutor, to not need a babysitter. And what Paul says is, that's what the law was for us. And now that Christ has come, we're no longer under a guardian. <clears throat> we're no longer under the law in that way. Jesus, and having faith in Jesus, allowed us to mature to the point that we are now called sons of God. And we no longer have need of the tutor to help explain to us how sinful we are. That's essentially what the law did. So what we read in this text, and if you read these verses together, verse 20, uh, 25 through 27, all three of these verses are one sentence. Uh, the verses really kind of throw you off. He says, Now that faith has come, we're no longer under the tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as are baptized into Christ did put on Christ. Whenever we accept that Jesus is the Messiah and choose to put him on, we are set free from the enslavement. The enslavement to the law, the enslavement to sin, the enslavement to death. We're set free from all of those things because we put on Christ through baptism. So all of this is, is really explaining for us. The law is not the answer. Jesus is the answer. And it's amazing to me how many people in the world today disconnect baptism from faith whenever very clearly here... Baptism is not a work of the law. It's not a work that we do. It is the, the means by which we demonstrate the faith that is inside of us. We believe that Jesus is removing the sins of our flesh. That he is uh, making his home with us. That the Holy Spirit is making its home with us. That the Father is making his home with us. That we have a relationship with God because we are entering into a relationship through Christ and his sacrifice. So at the very end of this, a very clear understanding of what faith is and what faith does. So what do we learn from all of this as you read through this? At the very end, last, last verse says, If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed 
heirs according to the promise, which is fascinating as well because he said that it's through the seed that all the nations will be blessed, and now he's saying that you are the seed. You are the offspring. If you put on Christ, you are connected to Christ. In other words, you're, you're part of the body of Christ. That whole idea is wrapped up in the things that he's saying. And you're no different from anybody else as far as your salvation goes. Now, I, I'm going to add a caveat before we go into what we learned from this text. Because this is actually a hot verse in verse 28. That there can be neither Jew nor Greek, uh, bond nor free, male or female, uh, for you're all one in Christ. A lot of people will use this verse to say women should have every right to preach. Uh, just as much a right as a man, because this verse says that there is no male or female. The only problem with that, the obvious problem with that is, it contradicts every other New Testament verse that says that our roles are different. Now, we are not different in the eyes of God. Uh, We are equal in the eyes of God. This is talking about salvation. There is no difference in salvation for any one of us. No one of us were without sin and able to accomplish our own righteousness by keeping the law. Every one of us relied on faith in Jesus and submitted to baptism to receive salvation. And that makes us equal in the eyes of God, sons and daughters of God. That does not mean that our roles are the same. And so uh, if you hear people pointing to this verse and saying that there's no male, there's no female then say, well, what's the context of that? And what about all the other New Testament verses? Aren't you just picking this verse because it agrees with what you want it to say and misinterpreting it? Because that's what they're doing, essentially. All right. Sorry. Side note. Had to say it. Uh, So what do we learn from this text? Well, obviously, this text explains, I think, all of the Old Testament in in this big-picture format that that all the nations, God knew he was going to bless them through the seed of Abraham, and not through the law. He knew that's how he was going to do it. But he gave the law anyway, because we needed it. Because if we didn't have the law given to us, we would not be able to see our need for the salvation that he was going to offer us. God knew we would be blinded to that. We would think that we were good enough. We would think that we were righteous, that we could accomplish it ourselves, that we could be worthy of entering into the presence of God just because that's how evil we really are. The Old Testament law was given to help us see that's just not the case. We are all falling short of the glory of God. The promised Messiah delivers that blessing. And that is Jesus. And now, because of what God has done through Jesus, grace and faith are available to all. It's a beautiful picture that God would uh, offer this promise, not conditionally, (laughs) back in Genesis chapter 12, that he would bless all the nations through the seed of Abraham. He didn't say, if you keep my law, Abraham. Abraham wouldn't have known what he said. God graciously said, you know what? You don't deserve it. But for my own name's sake and because I created you to be my image bearer, I'm going to save you. And he made these promises to Abraham. That's what happened. Not because Abraham was good enough and, and deserved it, but because he had faith in God and God counted that as righteousness. And then God decided to offer this blessing for all mankind to be forgiven and to come into eternal presence with the Lord. Grace and faith and, and faith make all of those blessings 
available to all of us. And so what are we going to do with that information? How are we going to view now the Old Testament? Does the Old Testament help us or does it hurt us? <laughs> well, as we read through it, I hope that it helps us to see our failures. We don't need to read the Old Testament and try to justify all the bad deeds that people did. <laughs> we need to read the Old Testament and see ourselves as making those same mistakes and worthy of the same judgments. But we know that because Jesus has died for us, we can be forgiven. And whenever we come to the New Testament and we read the, the law of Christ, we understand that it's not like the law of the Old Testament. It's not, you must do all of these things in order to receive the blessing. If you fail to do all of these things, you will receive the cursing. That is the Old Testament law. Okay? And that is not the law of Christ. It's not this conditional salvation law. It is a law that is given for us to understand what we ought to do to please the one who has saved us. We believed, we accepted the grace that was offered to us, and then he said, here's a law. If you, if you love me, and if you want to please me, if you want to live with me forever in eternity, this is how I would live, and I would have you to live as well. And at the top of the law is, love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your neighbors yourself. Don't be angry. Don't lust. Don't lie. It's a bunch of things that we're going to struggle with every single day, and we're going to fall short of perfection all the time. And this is why he gave us this more detailed law. You know, really, you go through the Sermon on the Mount, you're like, whoa, I thought the Old Testament law was bad. Jesus' law is more strict than the Old Testament law. And he gives it to us, knowing that we'll never be able to keep it perfectly, but knowing that because we now have this even higher standard, we'll stop looking at law as though it's the means by which we're saved, and we'll start seeing our need for Christ. Every day, I need Christ. Every day, I fall short of what God would want me to be. And the law of Christ accomplishes a very similar purpose to the Old Testament law, but it's not like it, in that it's given not as the means of salvation, but it's given to those who've received salvation so that they can live for Christ. I'm not saying you can just ignore that law and still be saved. Obviously, you go on sinning willfully. The sacrifice can be removed, but our salvation is conditioned on a heart that wants to please God, not on the perfection of keeping the Old Testament or the New Testament law. So hopefully that all makes sense to you. It is a lot of information. It is a, a big idea to munch on, to digest. I hope you'll read through and make sure that the things that I've said are making sense to you as, as you study it. And I hope that if you're here tonight and you've not uh, put on Christ by faith, You've not accepted the salvation that he offers you by uh, being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, I hope that you'll understand that you can be made a son of God tonight, a daughter of God. You can be made just like all of us who are unworthy to enter into the presence of God. You can be made worthy because of the blood that was offered for you. And all that you must do is submit to him 
and, and get ready because your life will be changed to be like Christ, to live for him, to die for him, and to serve him every single day. If you're here tonight and you have need of the salvation that God is offering you, uh, we hope that you'll come and that you'll let that be known as we stand and as we sing.